Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips which was a lot then you'd roll the oh, barrel up so to fun. up the hill and then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down and we've also had an amazing guest like mike the miz jason isbell carrie brownstein and corin tucker of slater kinney and many more and you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like change.dork <laughs> change.dork and congratulations you played yourself Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it, going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. this episode, Chad Swerve, terrorism and harassment is not the answer. We will discuss John Lee's district. He is currently up for re-election. And in this episode, we're going to interview candidate Mark Klein, who is a council member at the moment that's running against John Lee for John Lee's seat. Our election day is coming up this Tuesday. We will also speak with Kathy Huck, the executive director about my father's business. Uh, people experiencing homelessness deserve a seat at the table, right. you know, where their issues are being served. And they deserve a voice in that conversation. As well as first-hand accounts from Lauren and Laura, residents of Chatsworth that has been harassed by John Lee's behest. Because every person I've talked to, the city, the police officers, they woke me up at 4.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, Threatening to tow my car, my RV in the middle of the night. They said, next time we're not gonna, we're not gonna knock knock. We're just gonna tow you. So ever since then, I haven't been able to sleep at all for the past two weeks. I've been up all night, worried, panicked. You know, the tow truck's just gonna tow our home away. You know, I'm, I have serious stress and anxiety. And I tell you one thing: I never thought that I would be homeless. 
I raised three children, no problem, and now thank God above that they're adults now and can take care of themselves because now I'm the one that's down and out and needs help, and unfortunately they can't help me. So join us for this episode of episode 13 of Chatsworth's Terrorism and Harassment is Not the Answer. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe to my Patreon account. We have a YouTube account and a SoundCloud. House residents face an advantage that unhoused residents don't. They have four walls, a house or apartment that they close their door and they can shut out the stresses of the world. They can sit down, turn on the TV, if they want to cook a meal or if they wish to do laundry, they can do those things easily accessible either in their apartment or they have like an automobile to jump in their car and go to the local laundromat. Whereas the unhoused community is much more precarious, it has to be more thought out, and it's more obstacles than the Mission Impossible movies. Take for example me. I am in Chinatown, Los Angeles. And the difficulty for me is due to my disability, I cannot take a lot of things. I have to lug it up a hill, I have to go to all the way to a bus stop and wait, and I have to be careful because some bus drivers does not allow you to have a heavy load because of the spacing. So I have to time it in a way that I have certain things to do to get on the bus. And once I'm able to do that, then I have to wait and lug it all the way to the laundromat. I have to have the appropriate money to put it into the coin machine. Then I have to have money for the detergent. Once I have the money for the detergent, I have to sort the clothes, and then I have to do the laundry, which takes a good 45 to 50 minutes. After that, I have to repeat the process, go all the way, wait for a bus, another 20 to 30 minutes, and to come back and lock it and keep it in the area that I stay. What the house residents have to do is very simple. When it's time for them to get up in the morning, usually they get up, maybe check the phone, get them a hot cup of coffee, or they jump in the shower before. Again, for unhoused residents, that is a bit difficult. However, there are places where they offer showers, but the difficulty is that they're not everywhere. And most importantly, many unhoused like me do not want to risk leaving my stuff in an off chance that my stuff get taken or swept away. So, but here is Shower Hope's very locations, a few of many. They have one on Hollywood, Whittier Narrows, MacArthur Park, and South LA. On Hollywood, they have Wednesday, Friday, Saturdays from 2.30 to 5 p.m. Uh, Whittier Narrows is Friday, 9, to 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. MacArthur Park, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Friday. And South LA, Tuesday, 9 to 1. Now, in some areas that they are able to have once, once a shower a week, but I'm sure you're listening and wondering, do you shower every day or do you shower once a week? And most importantly, where let's ask the question, why do they not have showers everywhere else where unhoused people? They're close to 70,000 unhoused people. Why is it that every time we hear these complaints about unhoused people either defecating or urinating in areas, there's no mobile restrooms, there's no mobile showers on a regular basis as if unhoused people are robots and we don't have the same bodily functions. 
So the next time you have these NIMBYs that are asking this question, ask them, how, many, how often do they go to the bathroom? How often do they shower? And why is it that they so hell-bent on protesting and not asking for them to provide the services so they won't have to see someone have a, or go to the bathroom out on the, on the, in the public space? But they won't do that because the bottom line is they don't like unhoused people and they don't want to see them. You put the money where your mouth is, you will be able to find the solutions, but they don't want the solutions. They just don't want to. They will use the same harmful stereotypes that's been pushed by the police and who pretend to be protecting the serving to keep up this fear and this hatred going. The true essence of a poverty pimp so they can get more overtime. Unhoused News. Los Angeles had two deaths in the unhoused community. In the San Fernando Valley, Herman, last name unknown, was beaten badly and succumbed to his injuries yesterday. Keith Williams also perished on the street of Los Angeles. In other news, President Trump will cut temporary assistance for needy families by $21 billion over 10 years. Along with the new restrictions, will be a work requirement, which is already even more rigid and will produce more challenges for families. In particular, a rigid universal engagement that will require all parents, disabled, healthy, and otherwise, will participate in work activities for at least 20 hours. Under universal engagement, all families, including those facing an immediate crisis with a medical or mental health issue, would be at risk of losing their cash assistance if they don't meet the requirements to find a job. There's an article by Jackie Menjivar that stated there are eight things you need to understand about youth experiencing houselessness. The first, being unhoused doesn't mean living on the streets necessarily. The second is youth experiencing houselessness is often pushed out of their homes for reasons out of their control. Number three, young people who identify as LGBTQI index, as well as people of color, face houselessness, which deems poverty as one of the factors. Number four, youth houselessness has impact on the community, whether you're aware of it or not. Number five, transphobia, homophobia, racism, sexism, xenophobia create barriers for people to obtain fair and stable housing. These and other uh, discriminatory actions are a kind of systemic inequality that doesn't cause folks to experience houselessness. It can keep them from escaping a cycle. Number six, youth dealing with being unhoused are more vulnerable than adults that are unhoused. They suffer the fate due to their youth and age and reticent of explaining their situation from sex and human trafficking and the inability to tap in services because they're not taught this stuff in high school. Number seven, the stigma of unhoused, thanks to the NIMBYs and politicians and the police and the other uh, legal officials, makes unhoused difficult to talk about, compounded by the personal trauma that surrounds being unhoused. Here are the things that we can do as number eight. We could uh, find and require our new local leaders to be experienced or have an unhoused plan that doesn't require NIMBYism, as well as a in-depth educational summary for the educators as well as the students on how to communicate and treat unhoused people. In other news, 
a disproportionate of unhoused in San Francisco are African-American. San Francisco, the Tenderloin, the African-American population teeters between 5 and 6%. Incidentally, 37% of the growing houseless population is African-American. They went from having places to live to being out there on the streets. In Los Angeles, the toll of African-Americans that are here houseless is 37.5%. In Oakland, 70% is unhoused. Whole encampments are dedicated to African-Americans and Latinx people. In other news, Johnny Kane claims Walgreens to provide, failed to provide Narcan to an overdose customer because it was too expensive. Henderson from Weedy Unhoused. Um, as you know, we're not endorsing um, David Lee because of his stance on the unhoused crisis. And I have a candidate here that is running, and I want to give you, uh, the unhoused community, a uh, a chance to hear his platform. So let's introduce yourself. What's your name? My name is Mark Klein, and uh, I'm, I'm also homeless. And I've had the police uh, just about take everything I have. I have nothing left. It's all, it's, 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 it's unfair. It's not legal. And I figure we can't, we can't fight it out here outside. You've got to get inside to fight. So I want to go inside and fight for homeless rights. Excellent. How long have you been on the house? Ten, year, ten years now. Oh. I'm on house as well. So um, how, what, tell us your story. Because if you were one of the candidates, how did you become on house? Well, I had a business uh, that uh, I put everything into that went under when uh, in 2008. Yeah. Whenever uh, housing stopped, it shut me off. I had too much invested and owed too many bills, and bankruptcy came, and then came homelessness. You know? So, it was... so uh, basically, are you living on the street, or are you living in a car, or how do you how do you survive? I was living on the street. I was living down in what they call the bamboos down on the the basin, mm-hmm. and they came in this last month and moved us all out, just all of a sudden said, you have to leave, and what we couldn't carry, they threw it in the garbage. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, uh, are you, where, where do you stay now? Are you staying uh, safer now? No, I uh, kind of moved across the street over there, where they're not at for temporarily. Mm-hmm. I'm working with LA Housing to get some housing, and they're, they're real good. And it's taken about two and a half years to get through that. But yeah. A lot of hoops you got to jump through, but what else you got to do? Yeah. You know? So I'm just doing it. Yeah. So what would you do to help un- the unhoused community? Because you have the experience, I have the experience. Um, I'm using it to educate. But what would you do to, when inside that will stop this kind of cycle of running around and displacing people? Well, the first thing is you have to get the police department to back off. They can't just hassle everybody that they see in the street with a backpack, you know. That's what they're doing. And then they have some council members in there that, in their district, they don't want the, they don't want the homeless there. Like uh, Nuri Martinez said, she said, take away all their stuff, and they won't have any reason to stay. Wow. And this is why I've, got, I've been saying Nuri Martinez has declared war on the unhoused. And I've been taking different episodes to aim to this. And once we get out this kind of tyrant or this dictator behavior, 
we can probably get some solutions done because she's not causing any solutions. She's just causing more problems, and I don't like criminals. No, she um, she had no exit plan for anybody. <clears throat> she just came down and, and took everybody's stuff, thinking that they'll just leave her district. <clears throat> well, down there where I was at, nobody's left. They've just moved around. Some of them moved into the neighborhood. Some of them moved out on the main street. It's uh, it's a mess. There was she provided nothing for us, you know, for anybody to have any kind of option to do anything. She just thinks that uh, take away their stuff. They they won't say. It's not working. It's obvious that uh, this this punitive stance that we always run back to, uh, the, the business owners, the clergy, and whoever always runs back to like penalizing poor people and, and forcing them with this ridiculous laws. It's not helping anybody, and it costs a lot of money for these sweeps. Um, so one of the things you say, you're getting back off the police. Uh, many people have that may be listening that are in love with the police. They think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread and people don't know like I know and she knows and we both of us know about how really police officers had I shared with how 13 cops came up on me um, how they followed me it's just it's, it's, it's like it's a long headache so I don't um, what is your thoughts on how to convince people um, the true nature of police officers well, I believe in the police. We need them. Mm -hmm. But they've been given a free hand to mess with all the homeless people. They've, they're trying to criminalize us, you know, and everything you see, anything that happens, the homeless did it, you know. I've even seen where they, they blamed us for the coyotes coming in their neighborhood now. And, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And people hear something and they, and they start going with it, and it's like a mass hysteria, you know. We need the police. We need the protection of the police ourselves. But they're here to protect and serve, not to harass and and throw throw around, you know. They it's like they have plenty of things to do without messing with the homeless people, you know. It's easier to punch down. So how would you curtail or rein in the police then? What would you do? What accountability measures would you get to them when they're starting to do this? Well, the first thing you you, you just you have to just put down the law. They have to back off. Mm -hmm. You know, there's harassment laws. You know, it becomes a, a point of harassment after so long. You know, after I see the police almost every day, and every one of them tell me the same thing. And now it's come to the point where I feel like I'm harassed every day by the police department, and they don't need to do that. I mean, the right hand needs to tell the left hand what they're doing, mm -hmm. and that's the main problem. If nobody tells anything. I don't think Mayor Garcetti is not against us, you know. Mayor Garcetti is against us, but it's another conversation. But well, he's against us somewhat, only because that's his constituents, you know. But he um, he would really like to be able to help us, but I think his hands are tied. I really do. You know, city Council makes all the laws, and uh, what they've been doing is I don't know what they're doing. You know, they can't even count on them. They spent $6.5 million cleaning up garbage last year instead of helping the homeless, thinking that they need to do that. I think it's a lot cheaper to put a dumpster out there for the homeless to put the garbage into than it is to go out there and have to clean it up when it gets to be too much. We, Unbelievable. We took in, we had uh, a cleanup thing down here at the Bamboo where there was this mess down that street and all the people that were living there pitched in, bagged it up, and then they came and picked it up in the, in the trash. And they said they were going to do that regular, but they only did it one or two times and then the trash built back up again. We had no place to put our trash except in bags and then set them out. And, uh, we didn't know what to do. All human beings carry, have trash. It's ridiculous for people to believe that when you know on house people, if you don't put garbage cans or have regular trash pickup, and then when you have reporters like the Streets of Shame seeing that, they are, are just only showing the fact, but not talking about the nuance and the truth of that. So, um, is there anything else uh, you want?
want to let the listeners know? Well, I want to be a voice for the for the homeless well, and for the homeowners too. You know, I know the homeowners don't want the, all the homeless in their in their in their subdivisions. You know, and uh, they don't want to be there either. But they have nowhere else to go. And uh, I want to end that. You know, if we have to designate areas to have camps, then let's do it. I mean, you know, six point five million dollars spent on garbage would do a lot. What if because uh, like understandably like for me I don't want to go to a camp. I my community is where I became unhoused and I live in Chinatown and I think it's very dangerous because of our history of America with uh, concentration camps and 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 uh, slave boats and things like that. Uh, we should be very careful of that because they want to put all the unhoused people, all of us, out into the desert. That's a very uh, problematic thing. So, uh, are you okay with that? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. It's not a concentration camp. I'm talking about a camp that is that has rules. If you want to be in it, you'll have your own area to have, to have what you want to do. You know, and uh, there'll be bathrooms and dumpsters. You know, and if you don't go by the rules, then you can't stay. But it would be a safe place for people to be. You know, without the police coming in and harassing everybody. And uh, I think we could do that. I mean, there's plenty of places around here where there is where you could lease an area to do that. You know? My question is this: um, Let's say, for example, that if they people opt out of that, would you be okay? Would you be okay with the police harassing people that opt out and living in the other neighborhoods? Oh no, no, no! The harassment is way out of line. Right. Now, to stop and check someone out, that's one thing. But you don't do it every day and tell them they have to leave. The laws are, are, are pretty much clear about that, which, which they've made it all blurred up now. We're, we're all getting it uh, from one side and then the other. And it, it's just it's wrong. They want to criminalize every one of us. If you're homeless, you're a criminal or you're a drug addict. And that is or a child predator. Or, uh, yes, and that, and that, 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 that pisses me off. I don't want to be categorized like that. I'm just a guy that is homeless. I didn't choose to be here. You could have never convince me my whole life that I'd ever be homeless. Thank you very much. Um, this is Theo Henderson from Weedy Unhoused. And again, I hope everyone listens and learns a lot from these interviews that I've been sharing. And may we all again meet in the light of understanding. a very warm morning how I know because I am out in the thick of it uh, this is a warm Friday morning and I am excited to interview people that have uh, many of the unhoused issues at heart and most importantly it is very difficult because of this campaign race we don't have a lot of that I'm in the studios with Lorraine Lundquist and I want to let her introduce herself shortly so here you go Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Lorraine Lundquist. I'm running for Los Angeles City Council District 12, which is in the Northwest San Fernando Valley. And I am a scientist by training. I teach at Cal State University Northridge. And I'm really happy to be here with you and looking forward to discussing um, your experience and my policies and um, how, how we can do better because there's so much room for improvement. Uh, most politicians are very busy, so I will try to be mercifully brief because I could be very loquacious. But one of the things I, I wanted to ask is who are you running against? 
I'm running against incumbent council member John Lee. And, uh, you know, I have to be honest, it's, it's really disturbing some of the things that are happening in my district. Under our current council member, we are seeing um, individuals experiencing homeless, homelessness who are uh, being, you know, we're, we're seeing sweeps happening multiple times a day and, and people telling uh, folks who are living on the sidewalk that, um, that these sweeps are going to be happening continuously until they leave. Uh, we are seeing people being attacked by the community and being made to feel very uncomfortable and very unwanted. And it's an unfortunate situation for everyone. I too have interviewed out there in Chatsworth and I have to admit that the fear is palpable and it's very sad because these are our constituents and one of the things that I kept harping on, which is why I'm very excited that Rita Dunn, who is an unhoused member, she's running for neighborhood council as well, to understand that we have uh, a voice and we are listening to the issues. When you sweep us, we have a, uh, an affectation on, on that. So my, my first question is, what would you do differently than John Lee? Well, I think these sweeps are not solving the problem. I want to attack the root causes of homelessness. First of all, um, we we need services for people who are unhoused. Um, and this idea that you can sweep someone or someone's belongings and that that's going to help the problem is just, it's mistaken and it's misguided. And uh, I want to make sure, I want to provide supportive housing. My district is the the only district, council district in the city that has no supportive housing cited thus far. Uh, I am eager to uh, make sure that we are coordinating well with uh, you know the nonprofits that are out there, the the various different government agencies, which often uh, don't coordinate well together, to make sure that we are reaching people who are unhoused and providing uh, solutions that actually work. That you folks have a, have a voice, and um, that you are able to get your needs met. One of the things that when you pointed out about the uh, shelter or supportive housing, I noticed like a few months ago that uh, very well healed residents spoke out against it and they had cited that it would not be near a school because they are afraid that the unhoused will attack school children. What is your thoughts on that? I think there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, people equating homelessness with crime and it's important for folks to understand that Folks who are unhoused are more likely to be the victims of crime than the perpetrators of crime. And I, I think it's also important for us to realize that um, the people who are unhoused right now are in our communities. They are already here. Um, they are our neighbors. It, it is better for everyone, for the people who are unhoused and for the housed population, for uh, everyone to be inside. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, the next question I wanted to ask is, how would you make this happen? Because for example, in Echo Park, I don't know if you've been following it, my listeners have, Echo Park, uh, Mitchell Farrell has stated that the reason he's closed the 24 seven, uh, 40, 24 hour bathroom is because of prostitution, crime, and drug needles and things like that. And I have to be honest with you, when I went over there, and I'm not giving John, uh, I mean, Mitchell Farrell any credit, his place, his bathrooms were the most cleanest 
and had the most well-stocked bathroom, and I've been around to many parks. So what do you say to people that have these kind of ideas? Well, I think that this is the wrong tack to take, that just closing bathrooms, again, is not, it's not solving the problem. It is just making it so nobody has a place to use the bathroom. And how does that help? I don't see how that helps. Um, it's happened in my district as well. Actually, the train station in Chatsworth, the bathrooms are locked. So, you know, anybody using the train now no really has no place to use the restroom. And... Uh, um, so I think that, um, what, again, we need to tack the root causes of this problem. We need to provide more affordable housing. We need to help keep people in their homes before they become homeless. Um, and we need to provide emergency transitional shelter for people who are living on the streets. And ultimately, we need uh, supportive housing. How about what would you do to undo some of the damage for the unhoused? For example, MGM Bratz uh, company plays its music all hours of the night. One of the council uh, people that are running for neighborhood council, Rita Dunn, has expressed some dismay about that. And importantly, what about uh, the stance on the city council on unhoused vigilantism? Because that's been spiking up all over. Um, I have been a victim of it, and many other residents I've been interviewed, that there has been very little, any kind of talk about telling house citizens to stop uh, doing crime on them. Well, that is what I meant at the beginning when I said that people who are unhoused in my community are being attacked. It is happening. We are seeing vigilantism, um, and it's it's disturbing. We definitely need to crack down on that. I think it's, um, you know, we have these uh, places where... Um, community members are encouraging that that kind of vigilantism and that that is something that needs to be called out and needs to be uh, you know not allowed uh, violence is not okay against anyone um, and and you know the kind of it, it again it's just I think we need to help people understand that um, just making people feel even more uncomfortable than they are already is not it just is not a solution it doesn't do anything for anyone and um, what we really need to do is come together as a community to um, prevent the growth of this problem, to address the, the needs of people who are living on the streets, provide the support that we can to help people get back into housing. One last question is, what would you do, um, because people always love to tout about substance usage, and I want to talk about what, is, what kind of harm reduction ideas or philosophies or ideologies that you have? Well, when it comes to uh, substance, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to addiction and uh, drug use, I think it's important, first of all, to acknowledge the number of people that first become homeless and then start to use drugs. Because, I mean, it's really, I know you know this, I'm sure you can speak to this much better than I can, but I, I, I think that it's very difficult to sleep out on the sidewalk um, in the cold or the wet or the heat. Uh, and it is natural for people to 
want to numb the pain to um, try to get through that. And uh, so this is why the housing first model has proven so successful. Um, it's a lot easier, whatever the reason, whatever you, reason people started on drugs, it's a lot easier to get off of drugs when you're housed. Um, and that's what supportive housing is doing. It's providing housing and substance abuse treatment and counseling to help people um, get off of their addictions and, uh, you know, get back into a stable place in their life. I know I said one last question, but you touched on uh, about the heat. And 4118 and 5611, these are harmful policies. And most unhoused people can tell you that. Uh, for example, I have had uh, interview subjects uh, had mentioned about them being disabled and having to take care of medical needs, and police are arresting them or threatening arrest. Um, tense because it's, we have high heat indexes here or very cold or rain. Um, the police are, by the letter of the law, arresting and ticketing unhoused people. Do you have any possible solution? Because I understand the housing model is important, but let's be honest, honest, um, it cannot happen magically. Nobody's going to be in that. And I don't think any unhoused resident expects you overnight to do that. Um, what we do need is like accommodations, especially if we have a disabled and, and I'm basically trying to survive. So what is your thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, I understand that it is not, it, I think it's absolutely critical that we um, are behaving appropriately. The courts have ruled that, that we cannot um, put arrest people for um, sleeping uh, on the sidewalk when there is no place else to go. And, um, you know, that's the situation that we're in right now. We have uh, over 10,000 people who are on waiting lists for housing, and uh, we don't have enough places for people to go. And it's just unreasonable to uh, criminalize, um, you know, being without a house. <laughs> and and uh, that's just, it's not tenable. And again, you know, it is actually more expensive um, also for the taxpayers. Um, you know, housing people in jail is the most expensive <laughs> option that there is. <laughs> and it's not a good use of funds. I totally agree. And this is why I look askance when police officers are touting the reason for the unhoused crisis as Proposition 14 being uh, dismantled. And I, again, I thank you all for listening. And thank you, Dr. Elenquist, for your time. This is Theo Henderson from Weedy House. May we all again meet in the light of understanding. from Weedy House on a beautiful Thursday morning out here in Chatsworth. Uh, what we're here at is a connect day where there is a lot of the unhoused community has come to get some services that are available. Uh, it's also interesting to note that this is election time and based on from one of our other guests track record of the unhoused that he, I guess he's trying to shore up the unhoused constituency vote. So in the studios, we have Lauren, and she's going to give us a little bit about her story. So I'll let her take it away. 
Hello, Lauren. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so tell me, what's your story? How how have you how did you get to this point? Um, basically, my <laughs> husband and me and son were renting a house, and it got torn down by the owner, and we were granted relocation assistance because he was trying to illegally evict us. So mm-hmm. um, basically, we're still going through a whole court battle issue with that, which is going to take a long time. But the end seems promising. But in the meantime, you know, we were left with no place to go and a paycheck. So we basically had short notice, and we couldn't find anywhere to live. No one would rent to us because... My husband is self-employed, and he's also disabled, and he's also undocumented, so he's not eligible for any benefits. So uh, he physically cannot work, but he, uh, we used to own a dump truck, and he would just rent it out, and we made a little side cash from that, but not much. So we didn't really have any way of proof of income. So no one would rent to us because of that. And then I also even offered to pay like a full year's rent up front, and they wouldn't even accept that because I had the relocation assistance of twenty thousand dollars, and they wouldn't even take that. So we really left with nowhere else to go. We have no family here, no friends, and just no resources. So where are you living at? Where are you sleeping? We bought at? a motorhome. We bought an RV. Um, it's a nice RV. I mean, it's not. Super nice, but it's not old and crappy either, but it's in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we try to make it as much as a home as possible. And so... Have you ran into any police harassment about this? Tell us about that. Oh, yes, all the time. Um, well, I mean, we're new to this, completely new to this. We have never been in this situation before. We don't know how to do anything in this regard. All the time we get woken up in the middle of the night, you know... LAPD knocking on the door, need to move, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the parking enforcement comes all the time. We've gotten like eight tickets within the past two weeks. The care team and the street that we were parking on, they came five days in a row for no reason because, I mean, we literally have no trash outside, nothing. I mean, we keep our area as much clean as possible. We have a sanitation company we pay for that comes once a week to empty our tanks and fill our water. And they were just sitting around doing nothing. We made video of it. They cleaned the streets, but didn't even clean the streets. (laughs) It was quite hilarious because they just sprayed something on the sidewalk, and that was it. And I was like, what? The street's still dirty. You haven't even done anything. What is all this commotion about? My question is, I you told me or shared me a story about they were threatening to break up your family. Can you t- uh, tell the listeners of what happened? Um, parking enforcement came one night. Um, in, within the past two, three weeks, we've just been harassed every day. Every day the police have come or parking enforcement or the cities come, transportation, every day is something new. But in the middle of the night, we're woken up once again. It was the parking enforcement. I was like, hey, you know, please don't give me a ticket. You know, what's up? Tell me a place to park because there's nowhere to park. And I said, look, I have a sick husband. My husband has congestive heart failure. He's 40 years old, you know. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, they gave him a year to live. So he's living on borrowed time. And I was like, I have a sick husband and a three-year-old child at home. 
and he's like, oh, well, you know, you're not supposed to have a kid in the RV. That's illegal. You know, don't tell me that because, you know, we're supposed to report that right away. Just, I'm just going to act like I didn't hear that. And he's like, I don't want to hear that again. I don't want to see you guys around here again because if I see you here again, you know, I'm going to report you and, you know, they're going to take your kid away. That is a patent falsehood. But the fact of the matter is that they are telling you these crazy ideas to get you to run out. It's, 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 it's deplorable. So um, one of the things that people have this image of police officers is to serve and protect and that they're so nice and things of that nature. But what I'm hearing is a different story from people that are vulnerable. I guess they're nice to people that live in houses and want to get rid of them. Yes. Yeah. And every police officer I've talked to, I said, well, give me a solution. You told me I can't park here. The problem is, what I see, the people in the day complain because we're parking in industrial areas. We're not parking in front of houses. You know, we're parking in front of businesses that don't have a lot of customers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all factories and whatnot. Right. You know, we state ourselves, you know, we, we don't make a mess. We're not criminals. We don't, you know, have crap out on the sidewalks and this and that. You know, we're a family. We're a family. Just like you were the next person, you know? And... They they treat us like we're criminals. They really treat us like we're criminals, and they look down upon us. And it's just it's really sad. It's disheartening, you know. And they can come inside, and my we have a TV, we have a couch, we have a full refrigerator, a stove, a kitchen, and a bathroom. And a bathroom. <laughs> we have running water, electricity, everything. So they can't use the argument that you're using the bathroom on the, to- the streets, anything like that. Sanitation company that comes once a week. We pay seventy five dollars a week every time they come out. You know, and they clean our tanks and everything. We pick up after ourselves. We're not. I mean, we're in this situation by choice. We're just doing the best that we can. But no one seemed to give us a solution. They only want to tell us what we're doing wrong. But the problem is we're parking the day bothering these, these company owners, whatever. But the problem is they're harassing us at night. Why? No one's here in the night. What's the problem? It's so ridiculous. It makes no sense to us. We're sleeping, you know? Why are you waking us up telling us to park? There's nothing here. No one going. Not, nothing going on. No one's here. It's just so ass backwards. <laughs> this is the humanity that when I hear people always have these conversations, and I've gone to city council meetings, and most often than not, you can I can guarantee you, the majority of the city council officers, along with police officers, because they are part of the problem, they're going to these meetings with business people and painting you and everybody else, the every seventy thousand unhoused people, as criminals. And council people hear these stories and go and do the most punitative things. They are not looking at uh, the, the nuance of being in house. Like your situation is common to a lot of the guests that I've interviewed. So if today I had the financial resources or today someone else had the financial resources and we came up to you and we wanted to ask you, what is the best way for us to help you? Tell us how to help you. To, it's not necessarily affordable housing, but accessible housing. I would say for us in our situation, because we had the money, but no one would rent to us. It was just impossible. It was so impossible to find a place to rent. I mean, the, why? Because it was expensive, or what? No, it's just the the regulations, the the requirements for renting a place is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I have to have. So many, oh, like a whole page of things, you know, that just were so 
unnecessary. I have the money. Why, I can't pay you my rent in advance. Why won't you take a full year's rent in advance? So the issue is not about you not being able to pay the rent. Yes. It's now for us to be able to help you is to get rid of some of the hurdles, the roadblocks. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Definitely. That's fair enough. Um, I wanted to ask you, because this is a, a voting uh, cycle right now, from the president, from John Lee, because this is John Lee's district. And when the police are called out, people, uh, for the listeners that don't know, a lot of times the police are called out because of the council members. It's not necessarily so. Um, would you give John Lee another vote to do this to you again? No, no way. <laughs> because every person I've talked to, the city, the police officers, they woke me up at 4.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, threatening to tow my car, my RV in the middle of the night. They said, "Next time we're not gonna, we're not gonna knock knock. We're just gonna tow you." So ever since then, I haven't been able to sleep at all for the past two weeks. I've been up all night, worried, panicked. You know, the tow truck's just gonna tow our home away. You know, I'm, I have serious stress and anxiety. But they have all told me, the city told me when they come and clean the streets that were so filthy that the councilman sent them, that they went to work, and this is what was on their desk from the councilman. And they're the ones that sent them out. Every single one of them told that. The police told me that there was a special task force set in place by the councilman. So this is the, this is what I want you to know, the listeners, that when they fly and say they don't do this, this is what they do. Uh, and they hide this because they want to be act, pretend that they are really concerned about the unhoused. And just having a one service connect day is not the, um, the palliative for the wound that you caused. Um, is there anything else you want to let the audience know? Um, just to give us a solution, give us an answer that's reasonable. I mean, the police, when I asked them, I said, where can I go? No one has been telling me, giving me an answer where I can go, where I can park. Would you go to the desert? No. <laughs> well, that's one of the solutions. My, my husband's job is my, my son's school. You know, this is our home. But this is one of the solutions that they're offering. Would you go to a concentration camp? That's insane. No. So those are the things, those are the solutions that President Trump, Eric Garcetti, and they are working up, drumming up to try to do. Why? Uh, I pay my taxes just like everyone else. I work. My, hus- my husband has a business. You know, we pay our taxes. Their, their quote, and I quote, that they feel that we are a problem and we are, uh, we are all criminals, all 75,000 of us, and we need to go somewhere away from them. Parking on the street like everyone else just because I have a bigger vehicle than you? It's the only thing I'm doing. Really. That's it. It's just insane. It's so ridiculous. So there you have it. Very stressful. Very stressful, especially for my husband, too, because he has congestive heart failure. You know, he can't deal with the stress. You know, my poor son is like... He's suffering as well. You know, this is not easy for us. It's not easy for us. And you're supposed to help us. You know, we're not criminals. We're not criminals at all. We're a family. How does, uh, your son is not school age yet, is he? No, he's three. Okay. He preschool two times a week. Does he have any challenges? Uh, does Do they know of his living situation? No. Okay. No, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. You know, I don't want people to know what we're doing. It's not something I'm proud of. You know, and I'm scared. I mean, I'm scared.
I, would it be possible because I noticed another family that I've interviewed and they watch every morning the principal that opens the school and knows that they're in the car. Um, is it possible those same people that have, are against you guys being there that they may have children of their own? Yes, definitely, 100%. So is it possible that they may be passing on that same uh, rhetoric to their children? Yeah, of course, yeah. So here is the here's the damage that's caused. When I always I will use the example of racism. Racism is taught, and just like the anti-house sentiment is taught. When you're going out here yelling this stuff that they're all drug addicts and things like that, you're passing that on to your children, and your children in turn are passing this on to maybe a classmate that may be unhoused. Uh, that's something you need to think on. This is Theo Henderson from Weezy Unhoused, and I thank you all for listening, and may we again meet in the light of understanding. This is a beautiful, hot, warm morning on a Thursday, and apparently the big guns are out. Election time is in the air. Voting is becoming crucial for a lot of people. And here is David Lee's attempt at reaching out to the unhoused constituents. Um, some would say it may be too late. Some may be say it's mediocre. Or some may say it's outstanding. But at any rate, we're here uh, with one of the uh, one of our guests, and we're going to go and have a conversation on uh, many issues. Um, without further ado, let me introduce you to my guest. Laura, my name is Laura Santori. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's such a busy thing. So, what's going on out here today? What do you see? Today we're at LA Connect. It's for the homeless. They're giving us a free lunch, free backpacks. Um, we're looking into housing and medical. There's all kinds of booths here, and uh, whatever you need, they're here. The DMV, all of them are here to serve you. Well, that sounds great. Do they offer this often, or just maybe once a while, or during lecture time? Once a month on different locations. Okay. okay. Thank you. Um, so let's start getting and begin uh, how to uh, your story, because I would love to know about your story. And so let's take a moment to tell us, how did you become unhoused? Well, we lived in a four-bedroom, two-bath apartment, and my, we were all sh- sharing the rent, and my two older children left, and then that left my father, my disabled son, Robert, and I in the apartment, and we were still sharing the rent, but then my father passed away, and without his income, we couldn't afford the apartment anymore, so we became homeless. I hung on to the apartment for about three months after his death. And then money just ran out. You know, we just couldn't do it on our income. He, my son gets SSI, and I get SSI. So we ended up homeless and on the streets, and we've been homeless now for three and a half years. We've gone through everything, L.A. Housing, Section 8. Nobody has been able to help us. So we're still here homeless on the street. Is it easy or is it rough to be unhoused? Is it easier than being housed? No, I love being housed. Out here, everything, you know, if you, we can't cook because we don't have a stove. So we have to buy whatever we can to eat on, and it's more expensive this way. Um, my son's been brutally attacked twice, oh my God. has been arrested twice for something he didn't do, okay. and uh, it's very hard on him. You know, he has only one functional eye. Mm. 
Um, oh he's been in the hospital, what, three times, four times already since we've been homeless. And I really need to get him inside, indoors, where... Um, he knows what's going on. He has a cognitive problem, short and long-term memory deficits, and uh, I myself have diabetes, COPD, vertigo, and we're just out here trying to survive. It's very hard. What is it for when I hear all the time people are always saying that there are people out here that just don't want to be helped, that they are service resistant or that they are drug addicted. I'm here having a conversation with you and this is not your case. What, what do you say to that? Well, I know that there are, I've met them. I've met some people out here that enjoy being homeless. Uh, I've met drug addicts. I've met alcoholics. But there are people like us who don't take drugs, who don't drink, who who um, really want a place to to stay, to live. But unfortunately, society has grouped us all in the same category. You know, and, and people look at us, they look down at us, actually. We've met a few wonderful people that have, you know, given us free food and stuff. But there are a lot of harsh and cruel people out here. Very, very cruel. Yeah, right. You know? So the devil's at work. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I could travel and give you some stories of myself. So I, I travel with you and tell you. Uh, and I, as, as you know, um, my listeners know I'm in house and I've shared some of the, the horror stories that I have. So I, when I hear them all over, I'm like it seems like a concentrated effort. And particularly what was so much disheartening to me because I hear these uh, fabled images of police officers as these uh, great servants and things like that. Imagine my surprise that they are part of the problem that yes. is out here harassing. So have you met the same thing? Oh, yes. I mean, we've been harassed by police officers 50 times in the three and a half years that we've been out here. You know, and they are part of the problem. Uh, there was one person that uh, when we were over here local on a local street mm -hmm. that called the police and told them my son had a gun, which was untrue. And they came out here. They had my son on the ground with their shotguns pointed at him and I thought, you know what? You're, you're jumping the gun. Okay. Find out the circumstances. Find out what's going on. But a lot of the police officers, you know, are so eager and willing because we're homeless. They pass judgment on us and they make the matters worse. Real bad. That's the, that's the same thing. Similar, I told many years, and listeners may have remembered the time they had 13 trained officers on me, yes. and I had to, it's, it's, it was crazy. It, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. You know, you're out here trying to survive. You're dealing with the um, uh, industrial uh, employees belittling you, then you're dealing with regular citizens belittling you, and then here comes the police officers ready to punish you for something you haven't done. And instead of being peace officers, which they are called, right. they are not. Exactly. They make everything worse. Right. And I've told them that straight to their face. Exactly. You know, come out here, but, you know, they want to stick up for all those in the buildings who are making a, a living. But like I said, is we have an income. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're over here bumming. We have an income. We just don't make enough for an apartment. There's many. I had interviewed a uh, gentleman that is working, and he's living in the park. And so it's uh, it's not, it's like when people are saying that get a job and these kind of things, or they don't want to work. Right. There's a lot of unhoused people that are working, but they can't afford the damn rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's just bad. That's true. Uh, we met one man who's working 
speaking, and um, you said that he's sending his family back to Mexico, right, right, right. and he's going to stay out here and work, but he can't afford to keep his family out here anymore. Mm -hmm. And you have three to four families living in one apartment. You know, so what they need to do is just cut down on everything, find us some housing somewhere where we can all afford it. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, because your situation is as unique as well as similar to a lot of unhoused people, and if I came today and I had the money and the resources, tell me step by step, how would I be able to help you? What would you need? Oh my gosh, I just need you to help us to find a place, you know, to find a place that's affordable for us. I, like I said, I've applied for Section 8, I've applied for uh, HUD, everything, and I've been turned down. I just went and double-checked on my application in an apartment building. And I filled out two years ago, and they're telling me that the waiting list is 12 to 15 years yes. now. Yeah. Where are we to go? You know, there's nowhere to go. Um, we've had altercations with um, business owners, but not where are we supposed to go? There's no place to go. And the police just want us out of the way. They want to sweep us under the bed, you know, and pretend that we don't exist. And I tell you one thing I never thought that I would be homeless. I raised three children, no problem, and now thank God above that they're adults now and can take care of themselves because now I'm the one that's down and out and needs help, and unfortunately they can't help me. That's one other thing. I, uh, many people ask, it may be asking just like they asked me, but where's your family? Why aren't your family helping? And I had to say that the financial economic crisis affects all of us. Maybe we are not in a vapid uh, position to help us financially or have a place or because like one of my friends uh, tried to help me and his house, but then your neighbors didn't like having an unhoused person there. They called the police and had me try, uh, had him almost evicted. So there is that. So what, what, um, your family is unable to help you due to the same situation, I guess. Yes, you know, and uh, my son, he just graduated college and is now working for himself. But uh, he can't help us. He's in no position to help us. Mm -hmm. My daughter lives out of state. She's trying to get on her feet. And all my relatives, unfortunately, because I'm so old and they're so old, they've passed away. I don't have family anymore. I don't have it. If they were alive today, of course they would help me, but they're not. So there's nothing we can do. Nothing. So there, there is the story there. Uh, Laura, thank you. you have told me and helped me very much um, in helping spread it. I have one last question I want to do because this is election time and many people don't believe. And just for the record, I can vote. Um, many unhoused people can vote. We're not criminals and all these non nonsense. I am not on the street <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but despite what everybody, what the police are always, always pumping out there to you. Yeah. Um, uh, what is the like the election chances? Would you, uh, who have you had in mind? Is it Donald Trump, uh, Bernie Sanders, Mike Bloomberg, John Lee? Just give your insights on if today the way John Lee's administration, his council has been treating you guys, would you give him another shot? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a positive no. <laughs> Why not? What 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 would what would uh, change your mind? <laughs> I think that um, our politicians really need to gather together and help the homeless. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, this was unforeseen for us. We never planned on being homeless, and we thought we had enough money to survive, and we don't. We do have an income, but we can't survive on that income. 
So I would say, you know, find us somewhere, you know, a plot of land, anything where we can go and save our dignity. That's what it's all about, saving our dignity. We are people. We're not trash. Please don't treat us like trash, you know, being ignored. Um, and like I said, Lee, no way. Uh-uh. This is Theo Henderson from Weedy and House, and I thank you for taking your time. I know you've had such a busy, busy day. Um, I wish I'm going to ask a few more questions from some of the residents here, but I've I've learned a lot, and I'm very grateful for your time. Um, May we all again meet in the light of understanding. Thank you. Thank you. This is the afternoon of a warm, pleasant Thursday. I'm in these studios with another person that I have been meaning to uh, introduce you to. But as fortuitous happenstance as it is, um, I'm in Chatsworth, and I've had such an excellent, excellent experience out here that I want to introduce you to one of the major driving forces that she was featured on the Daily News, uh, Spectrum News as well, um, about my father's business, about the voters' registration for unhoused people. Her name is Kathy Huck, so please welcome our new guest. Hi, Theo. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy that we finally got to, well, we get together all the time, but we're finally together to get this done because I know you've been wanting to talk to me. Yes, I have. And I have been so excited when you launched this idea about the uh, voting uh, thing because we have been talking about it. And I knew that you were trying to formulate it in such a way that it launched and had like see one, teach one kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about what gave you the inspiration for this. Well, I wanted to uh, figure out a way to get the unhoused community um, organized in Southern California, something akin to the Poor People's Army, where the people get to make make their own demands and they get to run this organization and not the powers that be or you know they don't have to be the children in the room it's their story it's their organization but that takes a long time so I thought about back in the 60s during the civil rights movement when I was a kid what brought our community together we we organized around the right to vote and I think that's the fastest way to organize any community and I think the unhoused community should be a major voting block. They really are a major voting block. They just need to register. What pre- what prohibits them from being a voting block? Well, I think a lot of uh, people in the unhoused community are not aware of how things change. And I think that's where the advocates come in. It's our job to let them know that the, uh, they can use a street and a cross street. It's our job to let them know that they can use the last four of their social security because in the past, without an ID, you couldn't vote. And by the time you get an ID, where is it going? You have to have an address for it to go to. So a lot of things have changed. And I think that, plus a lot of people are so busy trying to figure out just how to live from day to day. The struggles of where I'm going to eat, where I'm going to sleep, where I'm going to shower, or whatever it is, keeps them voting. It doesn't make voting the top priority. I agree. Um, that's one of the major hassles. And two, let's imagine a voting day. And if you was to go down physically to a voting ca- a ballot place, let's say Nuri Martinez has ordered a sweep. You know, 
and you come back and you're feeling all patriotic and did your civic duty, and but you are now at ground zero. That would also cause a different problem. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, for example, the people I've heard on the news, and I was trying to, I'm going to check on this a little bit more, is about people that have been uh, formally convicted or paroled. Can they vote? There are conditions where uh, some felons can vote. So, uh, and online at uh, lavote.net, they have you know the information on that. I didn't really research it a lot, but some of the people that we registered were they had felony convictions and couldn't vote, and others could. So it depends on the type of felony conviction. That is very important for people to know because uh, I was having a conversation with one of the unhoused residents that had a felony, and he said it's just he thought it would maybe well, widespread, but there is conditional uh, instances. Uh, is there anything else about learning to vote would be necessary? I think that this year in LA, I wish I lived in LA. This year in LA County. Uh, I think there's no excuse for the housed or the unhoused community or the entire community, because we're all a community, the community as a whole, to not be able to vote. You have 11 days, 10 days prior to the 3rd of March to vote, plus you can go to any polling center anywhere and vote, and I think that everybody should exercise their right, because I know even my husband sometimes, he's rushing home or he's trying to get off early before the polls close, and this way he can take an early day or that day that, you know, he can get off to go do, uh, to to go vote. So it's almost like they're making it easier for us to vote. And like I said, the unhoused community and um, anybody that's having any difficult, like they, they don't have their birth certificate. So you have to get your birth certificate to get an ID. You got your social security card swept. You know, come on, you know. So this way you only, you only need to know the last four of your social security. And you can go to lavote.net to check to see if you're registered. Because when we were doing the registration, a lot of people were registered. So, and, and they felt good. So if you're registered, you just go down to any polling place. That's such a pleasant surprise. One of the things I also wanted to ask is uh, when uh, voting as well, because we have a voting for the city here, as well as it's most, I don't know, everyone knows about the presidential election. We cannot emphasize this enough. And there are people that genuinely have been inspired by wanting to help the unhoused and to do something or set up something to get them out there on that. What suggestions do you have to help get this movement on? Well, of course, we're talking about our local elections, and you're right. Once the unhoused community is registered, they are also registered for the uh, general election. And the important thing about that is right now, you know, like someone was asking me about it, I'm like, well, you know, uh, the time to register has, you know, for this election here in the city has ended, you know, that, that, that time has come and gone. But it's not to say that we don't keep registering people who are experiencing homelessness or, you know, any anyone, everyone should be registered. And so we need to continue to register because there is a general election coming up. So we don't just stop the campaign. And it's like I said, it's each one teach one. If I t- could teach you how to do it online, you could teach someone, they teach someone. It's exponential, you know, it's an exponential what do they used to call that, a snowball Mm -hmm. effect? Snowball effect, yeah. It's a snowball effect and um, we can get, you know, people who would not otherwise register to vote to vote because 
you know, the consensus is they don't care anyway. My vote doesn't count, but it does, and I think it's important. So, yeah, we keep registering them even after March 3rd. I think, too, um, that's one of the things that, uh, for example, there were some schools or some places, some shelters that offered a voting or a registration spot or pickup. Um, is there any other places that you can do this, like, uh, or can, ch- I want to say churches, or can uh, social clubs, or what can people that may not be a part of maybe some of the other things that I just mentioned can do? Any ideas? Do you mean as far as... Uh Getting, a, getting the voting registration thing act going because it's a drive because you're going to house people um, doing outreach and then telling them about their voting uh, opportunities and rights and some of them know and some of them just like you know like it says dealing with the rock and rubble of their life they like look I, I've, I'm just dealing from a brutal sweep all I just want to do is just rest or I just don't want to just keep my head down um, what could be said or what could be done to hit on the spot reach outreach? Well, I think that I, I know that uh, my friend Bill Freeman had a, a, a voter registration um, uh, program or, you know, a, event at his at his uh, church in the all-purpose room, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were able to come in. You get a meal. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, I think, you know, we give incentives, you know. Uh, I think it would have been cool to do a Super Bowl party, and, you know. But you know, you. I think that. I just want to say again. Watch this for a second. Just one second. Just back. But I think that you know, uh, you could have all kinds of events, you know, community events, and you know, even today for the Connect Day, we were trying to get a mock machine mm-hmm. so that we could teach people how to use the machine so you could you know and then we would register them but of course the machine didn't come so we weren't able to do that but you could do that at your church you could do it you know at any uh, venue um, and you know you can get people together at places like the NoHo Diner or Starbucks and you know sit around and talk about issues and also uh, get people registered uh, I, w- I would even say to the point of having a little register party and give people incentives to come and you know register or going to the encampments how about that well you know that's my thing we, yeah, exactly. we, we, okay so that's where you go we went to the encampments and it was really a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, we went into the encampments and uh, because this has gotten so much buzz from people like you Twitter you know and uh, Spectrum One someone ran out and they were like we heard you guys on NPR we want to register and so we went down the tracks and they were registering one another uh, Brooke Carrillo I don't know how many people she's registered and taught to register others. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and, you know, it's a fun thing because, you know, they're talking and they're talking about their political views. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, even the local politicians, they would be interested to know that everybody's not for one or the other. Every, I, I was shocked at different people, their views, which we don't tell people who to vote mm-hmm. for, but you would think that they're going to be for this candidate or that, but they're just as diverse as the rest of society are their views. 
That's exactly the point. People, as I mentioned in one of the meetings that I was attended, I said, unhoused people, we're paying attention. And I guarantee you, if you're one of those people that are sweeping or leaving those notices on, I know, for example, in Peck Echo Park, I'm not going to say the person's <laughs> name, but it lines with Pharaoh, that, you know, your con- the conversation, you can always guess that Election Day t- on 2022, your name is going to be cropping up a lot. So um, if you are one of those politicians that think un- unhoused people are Eyesore, and or that they just want um, that one of the viewpoints of one of them was if we take all this stuff, then they will leave. Then you better understand that you better have a, mir- a miracle because you know many unhoused people are becoming much more politically attuned and they are going to let their voices known voting. So, uh, is there anything else would you like to share with the uh, listeners? I will. You and I have talked before. You know that, and we both agree on this. People experiencing homelessness deserve a seat at the table, you know, where their issues are being served. And they deserve a voice in that conversation. It's important. And it's for the local politicians, even people whose names reprise with Harold. (laughs) I would say this. And, you know, I've been in a neighborhood council meeting here in Chatsworth where our our council member, uh, John Lee, you know, speaking. And, you know, I reminded him, and I often remind any of them that I come across they are your constituents. Mm-hmm. Whether they vote or not, they are your constituents. But you will, we, if we get enough of them registered, you'll know that they are your constituents. And I can I close with one comment? Yes, go ahead. Since you asked about the tracks. <laughs> when we were uh, registering people on the tracks, this guy, like I said, he heard the NPR interview, and he runs out, and he goes... Pastor, do you know what? I'm like, what? He goes, if all of us register along this track, he goes, they'll be out here shaking our hands and kissing our dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. This is Theo Henderson from Weedy and House and the studios with Kathy Huck. And I thank you all for listening. And may we again meet in the light of understanding. This week's episode shows what's really going on in Johns Lee's district. Backed by a hateful community like President Trump, his unhoused constituents are subject to vigilantism, police harassment, and constant stress. We can tell about our country's character with how we treat our vulnerable. And remember, conditional compassion is anti-unhoused sentiment disguised. You can feel that you, once you feel the unhoused, but don't want them in your neighborhood, you think you're being compassionate, but that's this anti-unhoused sentiment. That is not truly helping the unhoused, but is assaging your guilt and disdain for them. If you are opposed to unhoused people housing by a school because unhoused people are criminals, then that is an evil punching bag, punching bag that are the unhoused. And social service providers, crafting restrictive rules in places for unhoused people is trauma-inducing. Neither parties are helping the unhoused. You're trying to do a deal with the devil. Both sides are. And in the end, the unhoused lose. What we need to do is have a true education about what unhoused issues are. We need to have an honest discussion about substance usage. We need to have an honest discussion about trauma-induced care. And we need to stop allowing the police to pit each other against each other. We need to get them out of the conversation completely because, believe it or not, they are the ones that keep pushing this with house residents to cause these kind of problems. Recently, 
the police were complaining and whining about Proposition 47 as the reason why that there's so much substance usage. Criminalization is not the answer. Enforcement is not the answer. It's time for poverty's pimps like them to realize that they are not a part of the solution. They have been creating the problem. This is Theo Henderson from Weedy Young House, and may we all again meet in the light of understanding. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it! That's really it! And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear, with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.